The Old Testament reading for this, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 35th chapter. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. This is the word of the Lord. Fear the Lord, you his saints. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The epistle reading comes from the letter of St. James, the second chapter. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You, sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You, stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Spirit, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And this is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear 
and the mute speak. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The year is 1985. I'm nine years old, and my dad has just graduated from seminary. We moved from Fort Wayne, Indiana, to Oneida, South Dakota, where he is about to be ordained and begin serving his very first parish. The truck has been unloaded, the members of the congregation have gone back to their homes, and now it's time for us kids to go to bed so mom and dad can start opening boxes and unpacking. And so off I go to my brand new to me room. <coughs> Excuse me. Mom and dad tucked me in for my very first night in South Dakota. The parsonage is small, but it's fine for our family of five. The call papers described it as a four-bedroom, one-bathroom, two-story house with a dirt basement. It mentioned that it had central air, a laundry room, and an eat-in dining room. What it didn't mention is that it also had monsters. I know, right? What a thing to find out on your very first night in a new house. The lights go out, and right away I could hear them. In the closet, under my bed, in the hallway, on the roof. They were everywhere. Kids, this is not the house we live in. You guys can sleep well tonight. They don't live in our house. And so I laid there in my bed. Sheets pulled up to my neck, eyes wide open, staring around the room, looking at all the unfamiliar corners, the weird shadows that I had never seen before on the wall, the piles of boxes where any monster could be hiding behind. I was terrified, and I was positive that my very first day in this house was also going to be my last. Welcome to South Dakota, kid. Enjoy it while you can, because you're about to get eaten by a monster. And so I did what anyone would have done. I cried. I cried a lot. And I sobbed, and I wailed, and I curled up, and I laid there on my bed whimpering, too terrified to do anything else, positive that the monsters were about to get me. But then, in walks Dad, and he asks me what's wrong. Well, I told him that there were monsters, that I was scared, and that I didn't want to get eaten. Well, he didn't laugh at me. He didn't tell me to quit being so foolish. He said, don't be afraid. And you know what? I wasn't anymore. In our Old Testament reading, God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. Now, for the people of Isaiah's time, monsters in the closet probably weren't their biggest concern. But they certainly did have plenty to fear. Things seemed to be going fairly well for their country. Judah seemed very powerful and very, very rich. But moral decay was beginning to creep in. Judah's enemies were getting stronger and bolder. The northern kingdom of Israel was about to, or possibly already had fallen, to the vicious Assyrian Empire, and Judah was next on their hit list. Years of opulence and complacency had made Judah fat 
and lazy. And many realize that they are now ripe for the picking should their enemies decide to attack. Many of the kings of Judah, for several generations now, didn't think God's word was really all that important. That other religions were just fine and probably a lot more fun. And so, go ahead, do whatever suits you, was the message of the spiritual leaders of Israel. There were all sorts of problems, all sorts of of enemies, all sorts of things that could and did terrify the people of Isaiah's time. And so God comes to them with his word of encouragement, saying to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, just as he says to us today. The Bible assures us that we should not fear. And let's face it, our times are not all that different from the times of Isaiah. Moral decay, that's been creeping in for years, and now it's no longer content to just creep. It's running like a roaring lion seeking to devour anyone who dares stand in its way. Economically, yeah, we've still got it much better than almost anyone else in the world, but we know it's not going to last forever, and we're certainly starting to see some decline. We, too, have leaders in every political party and position who are taking part in dubious activities, leading people further and further from the word of God, saying, whatever you want to do, it's fine, do your thing. And so God comes to us like he did to Judah. He comes to faithful Christians and tells us, be strong, fear not. Not just here through Isaiah, but many places throughout the Bible. And every week when we gather together in his presence, a big part of what God tells us through our hymns, through the sermon, through the readings, through the liturgy, a lot of it boils down to fear not. So, all your financial woes, all the problems you have with your family and friends, all your troubles at work, all the sinful temptations that you continue to struggle with, brothers and sisters in Christ, fear not. Well, there. Don't you feel better now? Well, of course you don't. I mean, when you see all the trouble and the sin and the death that surrounds us, how can we not fear? We know God's word, but we also see how terrible the world around us is getting, how awful it's become. People in this country are now literally being put in jail for standing up for their religious beliefs. Sin and debauchery is sweeping across the nation, overwhelming our youth, pounding at our door every single day. Basic common sense morals are blasted as being bigoted hate crimes. Our Christian faith is ridiculed constantly. Our beliefs are mocked relentlessly. And of course, there's war. There's terrorism. There's economic uncertainty. There's crime and violence. There's a deep mistrust of our government and those who lead us. And then you add to all of that all your personal problems that weigh on us day after day. Are you struggling to maintain a good relationship with your family and yet you fear that you're losing your loved ones daily? Are you haunted by your past as prior sins and misdeeds keep resurfacing, keep threatening to come out into the open Keep affecting you and those around you. Are you fighting a constant fight against temptation and addiction and losing so often that you wonder if it's even worth fighting any longer? 
Are you just frustrated with all the day-to-day annoyances of this life? All the little responsibilities that fall to you when all you want to do is get away and do nothing for a little while. When you consider all these these factors, the global crisis, internal struggles, the uncertainty of the future, is it any wonder that every one of us has an anxious heart? Is it any wonder that even as Christians, we fear? And so an admonition of be strong, fear not, that's really not going to do us a whole lot of good, is it? You know, it's kind of like James says in the epistle reading. It's like someone telling someone, go in peace, be warmed and filled and not doing anything for them. What good does it do them? I could stand up here in this pulpit for the entire sermon and say nothing but be stronger, stop worrying, quit being afraid, fear not, don't worry, be happy. It wouldn't make you or me or anyone feel any better at all. We can even tell ourselves to quit worrying about things, but that is way easier said than done. And even our own words ring hollow in our ears. Because we realize just how much there is to fear. So what good does it do for me to stand here today and tell any of you, be strong, fear not? Well, honestly, it does no good at all. Because my assurance, that's just as hollow as your own. But God's word, now that's a different story. You know, when I was lying there in my bed in Oneida, sobbing and terrified, and Dad came in and said, don't be afraid, it wasn't the words that assured me. It was who spoke him. He had, I mean, now had a total stranger come into my room and said, don't be afraid. That wouldn't have done me any good. In fact, I'd probably be more afraid wondering how a total stranger had gotten into my room to talk to me. But I knew Dad. I had known him all my life, really. I knew what he had done for me in the past. I knew that every other time that he had come into my room and told me not to be afraid, I had not been eaten by a monster. Not even once. The words, fear not, those were meaningless and pointless, except that they came from someone who had never let me down. Someone who had never abandoned me. Someone who had never let the monsters eat me once. Well, God, our Heavenly Father, He's even better than that. God is more powerful than anything. And He has never broken a promise. Despite the many, many, many promises that God has made throughout the Bible, He has a perfect track record. Never once forgetting, never once letting it slide through the cracks, never once saying, oh, I don't think I'm going to worry about that one. He says, Abraham, you're going to have a baby even though you're in your 90s. Well, that's impossible until it happened. Israel, you are going to walk across the Red Sea on dry land and be set free from Egypt forever. That can't happen. And then it happened. I will destroy the entire earth but I will save Noah and his family. I will feed the Israelites in the desert with quail and manna. I will bring my people back out of their Babylonian captivity. I will shut the mouths of the lions so they will not devour you. 
Every one of those promises, they were insane, they were impossible, and they were kept perfectly by our loving Heavenly Father. So when He promises us, even in the midst of all our terror and chaos and awful things going on, when He promises we have nothing to fear, we have nothing to fear. He has kept every single promise Ever. So what makes us think that he's not going to keep this one? And besides, we know that the power of God is far beyond anything that this wretched, sinful world can throw our way. We see that power in the miracle of the gospel reading today. This man has been deaf. He has a speech impediment. He needs help. And he comes to Jesus. And Jesus puts his fingers in his ears. He spits. And this man, has all his life has been afflicted by this, is suddenly able to hear and speak clearly. That's power. That's a miracle. That's something that simply cannot happen. But it did. In the verses just before this one, he simply speaks a word without even seeing the demon-possessed girl that her, whose mother came to him. And the girl is healed. Just a word from afar and demons flee. That's power. That's impossible. That's miraculous. These phenomenal miracles happened all the time around Jesus. Lepers were cleansed. Demons were cast out. The eyes of the blind were opened. The ears of the deaf were unstopped. The lame leapt like, de- like deer. The dead were even raised, and Jesus didn't even break a sweat. That's how powerful God is. These unbelievable miracles, they were simple feats for him. But for his greatest miracle, well, that's the one that really matters. And that one was no simple task. His greatest miracle took literally everything that he had, and he did it. For you, we see the real miracle, the full power of God at the cross. Jesus Christ, God Himself in our flesh, sacrificed Himself, gave Himself over to death to atone for your sin. Now that's impossible. That can't happen. That's insane. And He did it. He did it for you. He gave up everything. For you. He suffered at the hands of sinners. He died and was buried to pay for your sin. Think about that. God, who is eternal, God who created all things, God who has power beyond any of our imagination, God died for you because He loved you so much and He didn't want you to face eternal death. That is the greatest promise that he has kept. I will forgive you of all of your sin. At the cross, through his sacrifice, every one of your sins, all of your misdeeds, every single failure of yours was paid for in full. And at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, you were given the absolute promise and guarantee that you too would rise again from the grave to be with God in heaven forever. He's the one who makes the promise. He's the one who assures you, fear not, for all things are in his hands. 
It's God's power, not yours, that you put your faith in. It's God's promise, not yours. It's God's word that tells us, fear not. He's the one who will come again with vengeance upon this world, not us. When Jesus Christ returns again in glory, everything will change. The deserts will become lush paradises. The dried up places will become streams of water. What the earth thought was so good and wonderful will be shown to be evil, wicked, and it will be destroyed. Where there seemed to be only death and desolation, Jesus Christ will bring life eternal. And we poor, miserable sinners will be cleansed completely. We will be made perfect. We will be restored to the image and likeness of God himself that we were given in the Garden of Eden. And we will be carried in his loving arms to that perfect eternal paradise that he has prepared and won for us. That's what church is all about. All throughout the year, in church, in Sunday school, in Bible studies, in catechism classes, in everything that we do, we're not just teaching sinners how to be slightly better people. We're not just saying, come on, can't you get your lives into shape? We're not reading the Bible and saying, now shouldn't you do that better? We are hearing of the mighty deeds of God all throughout history. We are seeing him fulfill every one of his promises, even when they look impossible. We are teaching the young and the old that Jesus came not just to set an example, but to win the eternal victory over sin, death, and the devil. And that by grace, that victory is yours. You have conquered the world through the blood of Jesus Christ, and there is nothing that it can do to change that. It may snap and snarl and be utterly terrifying at times, but God stands before you and says, Fear not. I have won the victory. You are mine, and the world cannot take you away. And so because of that, even while we might be shaken and terrified, even while we will definitely suffer earthly pain and woe and even death, we need not fear forever. We're still sinners. We're still doubters. We're still going to listen to the lies of the devil and give in to our sinful inclinations. We're still going to see all the death and destruction around us, and we are going to fear and tremble. We're going to start to think that the monsters are winning and there's no possible way that things could end well for us. We will fear because the world is a fearsome place. But the Word of God is always there. And it is always louder, reassuring us, comforting us. Be strong, fear not. That's not a command. It's not even just a promise. It's a guarantee. God himself has fought for you, has won for you. And he will come and save you. And the world simply cannot win. Now that doesn't mean that you're always going to experience earthly victory and joy. Many times, we won't. But even if we lose everything, even if we lose our lives, we can indeed fear not for real. Because the Word of God is far more powerful than anything that this world can do to us. And that Word has given you the absolute promise of the Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That by His cross alone, 
By his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.